Well, happy new year, everyone. Happy 2021. Peace out 2020, whatever. Um, I know some people are happy to see 2020 go and that's all fine and dandy. Um, welcome to this week's episode of I Wish Someone Would podcast. I'm your host, Robin, and I want to cheers to you to a year of prosperity, of abundance of all the things, and great lattes and cups of coffee ahead of us. If you're new here and you're still getting to know me, you're going to learn quickly. I require coffee in the morning. First, before anything, before conversation at all, I literally just cannot properly function or speak for that matter prior to that first cup of coffee. That first cup of coffee, when that first drop of coffee hits my tongue, it's like, whoa, the gates of heaven just opened up and all is well in the world. It's like I'm possessed until then. <laughs> so I've been on a holiday break last couple weeks, as many of you have. And while I still have up all three of my Christmas trees, do not judge, please. I want to add two more, by the way. Side note, that's a different episode. I spent a lot of time reflecting, purging, and planning, as most people do. This last week of 2020, that's really what that week was. It was a really, it was a very slowed down week. It was a week of not added stress, of not committed to anything, a clear calendar, so that I could just really focus on me and what's inside the four walls of my home. And I really thought about my goals for this year. I decided that three was going to be my number of the year. Three business and three personal goals were super doable for me. And more than that, or any more than that, y'all, in my bucket would just be too full. My bucket just ain't big enough for anything more than that. I would be overwhelmed. So have y'all done your goals yet? I know some of you call them resolutions. That particular word doesn't have the same effect on my heart that goals do. So I'm going to stick with goals. But gosh, in the comments, after you listen to this episode, I'd love to hear some goals and resolutions. So back to this episode. When I was planning out episodes, I really went back to how anxious I was even launching this podcast. Enter all the negative thoughts of what will so-and-so think? What will so-and-so say? What if it's not as good as so-and-so? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> then I thought, peace out to the fucks that never fell out of the sky for me to actually give a fuck about anybody else's opinion about my podcast. And I think that's the biggest thing that I really want to talk about today. Because I wasn't in that place when I recorded the intro segment for this podcast, much less the first episode. Since my podcast is generally me oversharing my life with you, I thought it was a good time to record this episode. I wish someone would have told me that anxiety is a legit real thing, it's a vibe, and taught me how to cope with anxiety at a younger age. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of you listening that can actually connect with that. <laughs> so I'm going to share some of the things I've learned how to cope 
with my own anxiety, understanding why the body brain does the weird shit that it does when you're anxious. But I want you guys to remember every single one of us is going through a different journey in life. Your journey is not mine. Mine is not yours. Some of the coping mechanisms may apply and some may not. So don't let that thief comparison get y'all fucked up as you listen to this. But let it let you dig into your own issues with anxiety and come up and be solution focused, if you will. So sometimes I get migraines and migraines can feel like a jackhammer in my head. And this would happen right as I was about to have a crazy anxiety attack or right after. So most of the time for me, felt like my body was just always tense, that I couldn't loosen up, that, that you know, your shoulders get real tight and it's going up into your neck. I'm like stretching now, like as if I were tense. <laughs> and you get that boulder in the gut for hours, maybe days. My hope is that maybe some of the things that I've learned to do to help alleviate that stuff will help you chill the fuck out so you're not so anxious. Because at 45, I wish I had learned a lot of this a lot younger. So let's go back to my growing up years. I bounced around from house to house. I've lived with like every family member on both sides. Remember, I've mentioned before my uterus donor. Yeah, I'm not ready to talk about that yet, but well, she wasn't exactly mom of the year, like ever, ever. So I lived with many different family members and I'm just going to focus on a couple, um, not necessarily bad things, but you'll see. So on one side, my maternal grandparents, they lived in California. And then there was my Texas family. That's my sperm donor side of the family. Definitely, that was my happy place. Um, side note, sperm donor himself was a piece of shit and still is. Um, I'm not ready to talk about that either. <laughs> However, that side of my family is amazing, was amazing, still is. My cousins were my first best friends. They are more like siblings to this day. When I would be in California with my grandparents, they came from a different place. Like my grandfather came from a small town in Oregon. He was one of 13 children. Yes, 13 from the same parents. My grandmother was one of, I don't know, a lot. I can't even remember. I don't know if it's like seven or eight. And they were from. Louisiana originally. They got married very young, um, but it was different. You were basically told to just shut up and do what you were told. I learned quickly, seriously, to be seen and not heard. You know, that old adage, children should be seen and not heard. I do not agree with. However, that was the 70s and 80s for me. I had moments, though, where I had far too much logic in my responses, which resulted in a really good ass whooping that might be a branch off a tree, a piece of wood near my grandma. 
And there is no need for any Karens to be concerned about abuse. I deserved some of those ass whoopings. Let's just be real. Like, for instance, there was one time my grandma said, Robbie, you better not go out that front door and go swimming. So I didn't. I went out the back door, hopped the fence and went swimming. Ooh, child, she must have yanked me out that pool by my hair. And I got the back of her hand in my mouth and blood coming out. I, I probably deserved that one. And my argument was that you said don't go out the front door. <laughs> yeah, so you could all agree that there were moments I deserved to have my rear end, you know, have her tan my hide, if you will. You can see where the logic, though, that I had might have won in a courtroom, just not with my grandma. So I probably should have been a lawyer. All right, I digress. <laughs> Regardless, between my grandparents and my older aunts on that side of the family, the maternal side, I was always scared to ask for anything. So I didn't. I never asked. I would literally make myself sick working up the nerve. Sometimes, like if I wanted to do, to go to somebody's house after school or something like that, I, I just didn't. I was always felt like I was on eggshells. And so that became a very learned behavior, which I would learn was just anxiety. And when I try to share my feelings with them and explain how I was feeling when we were having a good moment, like maybe I had just showered and my hair was getting brushed. I would be quickly told, quote unquote, cut that shit out. <laughs> so I learned to have this very tough exterior. On the flip side, when I was with my Southern side of the family down South, we were very religious. So you washed your tongue, you minded your manners, you prayed. And there were moments where you could have conversations. Very different, you know. Unfortunately, the maternal side kind of had the upper hand and I would end up in California the majority of my teen years. So what I do know to be true is that I needed to talk. Anxiety meds exist for a reason. I'm older now. I know how to do things without meds, aka the holistic way. But I know that had I had help when I was younger, instead of being told to shut up and pray, I would definitely have gotten through life without so much anxiety or panic. I have found a lot of times my anxiety is triggered by, imagine this, not being in control of a situation or the things around me. Yep, I'm a type A, so that would freak me the fuck out. I think a lot of people around me would agree because they know me. And becoming self-aware was a super amazing first step for me as I worked hard to take control of my anxiety. It wasn't something I wanted to, to live with. I was tired of feeling the way I was. So I can go with the flow in most any situation. But when others are directly, they're making decisions that directly impact me. And they're themselves out of control. I definitely tend to go in panic mode internally. Sometimes you never see that on the outside. I'm so good at that. But I'm over here like, yo, I'm perfectly capable of fucking up my own life, y'all. <laughs> all by myself. You know, there's a um, Tyler Perry movie, I Can Do Bad All By Myself. Yes, that's what comes to mind right there. I really have that down. 
But this actually happened to me a lot as a kid. And because it became a learned situation for me, I allowed it to continue into my adult life. It just became a pattern of behavior, if you will. To give you an analogy, it's like being in a car when you're seven years old and whoever's driving is drunk and they're in and out of consciousness and all of a sudden you have to drive and you don't have a clue how to. For me, it's being in a shitty and dangerous situation because of others' choices. That is one trigger for me, for sure. Part of that is also, as a child, like if my cousin was making decisions, um, and my cousin here in California wasn't necessarily the best decision maker, and she's making decisions, I knew by guilty by association, her decisions and her outcomes were going to affect me getting my ass whooped, I was freaking out because I didn't have control of what she was doing, but everything she was doing was going to affect me. So there's that. I started noticing none of this was normal. It was not what I was supposed to feel. And this probably started becoming prevalent in junior high. That is when I noticed like my heart would race, the pit would form in my gut because now I'm in junior high, I'm playing softball, I have good time. And then I start feeling and really noticing when that when that pit, that boulder is growing, that rock in my gut. And I know that these quote unquote episodes, if you will, now I know, those were panic attacks. I used to roll my eyes at the thought of a panic attack, you know what I mean? but those were panic attacks. Um, I know this though, mostly because thank you to the advancement of medicine and studies of mental illness. People actually used to call anxiety hysteria, especially in women back in the old days, you know, like when men ruled the world and controlled the women. So if a woman had feelings or anxiety, she was hysterical. My response to anxiety is usually more physical than psychological because I feel like I just ran a marathon and I feel physically spent. I don't know how else to describe it. Like I just got off a treadmill that I couldn't get off for a really long time. So when I'm in the depths of these attacks, I feel like everyone hates me or they're mad at me or I'm walking on eggshells. It's all of those self-sabotaging thoughts. I know these feelings present themselves, so I have to take a step back when they do. Like, I've learned to identify them. First, I don't usually care what others think of me, at least to the point at this point in my life. So when I start feeling that way now, it's super quick, like in and out in less than two seconds, four seconds maybe max. Um, And let's be real. Not everyone fucking likes me. I have my share of haters. I am not everyone's cup of tea, y'all. That's for sure. And that rings true for everyone. You are always going to encounter people who don't like you or who judge you. They're not your people. Keep moving. But my physical pain and illness became overwhelming. And it gets overwhelming. Um, It seems so weird that the body does this, but the reality is that when you experience fear, it's a defense mechanism that you go into that fight or flight mindset, that you protect yourself. 
You either run away from the situation, you stand up and fight the situation, or you're just paralyzed from it. It's like little kids who pee their parents when they're scared. It's the body's physical reaction. Ah, your body can have such strong physical responses to fear and anxiety, and you have to give it grace. Side note, anxiety can be triggered by a number of things. It can be about control. It can happen when you know someone is lying to you. (laughs) Even when you're asking the question you already know the answer to. Or something even more trivial, like creating a panic state because you have a deadline of some sort approaching and you get in your own head that there's no way you can meet it. So keep in mind, there's lots of different triggers. So let's talk about some ways that I coped. Therapy, that was a godsend for me. I've touched on this before. Before I went to therapy, I researched the fuck out of it. Like I am an over-researcher and over-analyzer. I should have a gold medal for that shit. But in my research, I realized that cognitive therapy was what would be most beneficial and have the biggest impact, the positive impact for me. So let me tell you exactly what that is. Cognitive therapy, it's a short-term form of psychotherapy. Don't get it all twisted with the word psycho, y'all. Um, It's a term. It's based on the concept that the way we think about things affects how we feel emotionally. It focuses on present thinking, behavior, and communication rather than on your past experiences. And it's totally problem-solving oriented and focused. I think for me, that's the biggest thing. I always tell people, don't come to me with a problem if you don't have a solution. Even if we don't use your solution, come and present a solution. So I really, really loved everything about cognitive therapy. I actually loved this therapy so much that after nine months of one-on-one, when my therapist was like, you really don't need to come, I went and joined a group. Uh, after another year, I became the moderator of that group. And after three years, I took a break. Can someone say obsessed? Yeah, I was that obsessed girl. I believe though that every human can hugely benefit from this type of therapy. It doesn't matter what kind of trauma you've had in your past or not. No one's got a perfect life. So anyways, Part of it is learning to identify when you're putting too much pressure on someone or being over-emotional about something. This is what I call the drama. The data is that you're really just triggered and you're projecting on some level. So you have to learn to identify and separate data and drama. Because drama, if you play into it, it's just, it's harmful to you. It's harmful to others, to your relationships. So you always got to bring it back to the data. Just don't become so logical that you're an ass. And I have learned to listen to my gut. This has been a hard one. And I'm 45 and just getting this shit. But if my gut is telling me there's something wrong, I physically and literally remove myself from the situation. I listen to it now. AKA, walk away, sis. God has you. And he is the only one you need in this life. I'm going to put that out there right now. Yourself and God, even if your husband like mine is the love of your life, like God, if God's got you, you will never fail, sis. I've also learned 
not to borrow worries from tomorrow that may never exist. You cannot analyze a situation to the point of being a TV drama scriptwriter. That would be me. Cue in my inner Shonda Rhimes here because um, she's my bestie. She just doesn't know it yet. Um, anyways, don't overanalyze the situation to where you have to have an Olivia Pope scandal outcome. You don't need all that. These learned skills, though, they take intentional discipline and tons of practice. You have to separate the drama and the data. I will always go back to that with anyone I talk to. Separate the facts and separate it from your unrealistic response to the situation, sis. Like if your gut, I'm sorry, your instinct reaction is to throat punch somebody, take a step back because that's the drama. <laughs> We've all been there. It's called growth. Also, journaling. Journaling helps a lot. Journaling gives me the ability to put all my thoughts down on paper as if I'm having this conversation with myself. Side note, how many of y'all get in the shower and have the best arguments and you said all these badass things and you won that argument? Yeah, that's me. But it's kind of like that when you journal. You get to say everything you want. You're processing that shit that keeps running through your mind that you want to say, but sometimes you have all these thoughts. You can't actually articulate them. And a lot of times all we needed was to get it out, what, what we were feeling inside. And you can say all the mean and nasty shit that you would never say in person to someone. And you get rid of that heaviness, that Roman wall that's sitting on your shoulder. It's called an anxiety reliever. I've not always been very good at this journaling thing, but my girlfriend, Sunshine, who's like sunshines and rainbows, she throws them like the fucking glitter. She's really pushed me over the last several years to do this. And I'm grateful for that and for her. Um, when I'm really mad, I withdraw. And I know it's not an appropriate way to deal with shit either. But cliff note, there is no right or wrong way to journal. Because I used to research how to properly journal. If you're like that, stop. Just write the shit down. It'll get easier after the first week, I promise. Journaling definitely has increased my resiliency when it comes to anxiety. Like a lot. It allows me that moment away from a situation to get it out. And then I get to decide, is this even a real thing? Like, am I even really mad or was it drama and I was overreacting and projecting? Um, or even if I didn't project, that would have been my, my fight or flight reaction, if you will. Also, sometimes I find myself sitting in my office and the anxiety just comes on like a bad storm cloud, like out of nowhere. And I just have to get up and change my environment. I leave the house. If I haven't walked yet that day, I go for a walk. If you do not walk, start. I promise you, this will hugely affect your emotional well-being on every single fucking level. Yesterday, I walked in the rain. I didn't give a fuck. It's all positive when you walk because <clears throat> you're out there in God's world. And it's just endless beauty, if you will. Um, for reals, just don't knock it till you've tried it. Walking is a really, really big deal. It's a mental and a physical positive. I also learned to let myself mentally 
escape. I'm a connoisseur of all things reality TV, especially like Love and Hip Hop, Real Housewives. I like Dallas and Orange County and Potomac. That one though is a little wild. Anyways, I take lunch breaks every day of the week, just like my children do from school. I make my lunch, I grab my water, and I sit down in my back living room and I watch 30 minutes of an episode. It's exhilarating to watch these train wrecks that never end. And I still haven't figured out what's scripted and what's not. And in an effort to keep it 100, a couple of these girls from Real Housewives and Love and Hip Hop, they're totally my besties. They just don't know it either. Anyways, <laughs> finding an escape, whether it's TV show, a book, um, another hobby, it's just really important. It's critical to calming yourself the fuck down. It also breaks up whatever you've got going on. You know what I mean? And then breathing. Oh, breathing. I know this sounds like an oxymoron because we breathe anyway. But there's a reason every therapist recommends it. I personally will sit, stare mindlessly out the back door in silence and count to seven as I slowly inhale. Then I'll hold for seven. Then I'll release over a seven count. When I feel the anxiety at a height, I probably do this eight times. Like sit there and do that exercise eight times over and over. Then there's yoga and meditation. These are huge ways to center yourself, especially because it forces you to disconnect from your phone and social media. It also pumps your ego if you're good at this shit, which I'm not, because those girls are pretty fucking agile. Like I don't know how they do it. And I'm not a professional at this one yet. It is on my low level list of goals this year to work on the yoga thing. But I also have to remember grace is not my middle name. So I give myself grace when I do this stuff. A big one, turn off your phone, put it down, put it on do not disturb. This is so helpful. When you have tasks at hand, you know, whether you have an hourglass or what Give yourself your time limit and turn everything off. The disconnection will help you huge. You don't know how much anxiety and stress it is to be reachable at all times. I am so guilty of this. So last year I adopted the D&D feature on my iPhone and my coach must have told me several times, can you turn that damn thing off? Because I would forget and leave it on. <laughs> um, but you teach people what to expect from you. So if you're always responding right away, then you don't. Hello, bring on the drama and the anxiety. So just make it a habit of turning off and disconnecting on a regular basis. It's so good for the soul. Reading or listening to books, whatever it is, audible or hard, hard copy. Reading is such a great escape. A hot bath and a book with some lavender bubbles can really solve all world problems, sis. So I guess what I want to leave you with today. Learn to have perspective on everything. Appreciate the little things. Those little things, they're really big things. You have to find the little things that make you happy and bring you joy. When you find those things, make note of them. Sticky notes on the bathroom mirror or in the back notes in the back of your current journal, wherever. Just make note of those things and have access to them. Give yourself a few options so that on those days where you need to cope with the bullshit, 
you have somewhere to go to get ideas. My last thought is that if you're living a life full of anxiety, you have to change your daily habits. There's a great book called You Should Talk to Someone. It's so good. There's a metaphor about a guy in prison holding onto the bars and just looking out. But the reality is it's just a wall and he could walk around it. He's just afraid of moving forward. Change can be hard, sis, but most change is really good. It's actually called growth. Learn to take the shackles that we self-inflict on ourselves off. On that note, I hope you guys have an amazing rest of the first week of your year. And I will see you next year. Listen to my podcast, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts from.